Our scripture this morning is found in Exodus chapter 12. While you turn there, just wanted to mention a few things. I'm glad Andy mentioned for our pastors and appreciation this year. We also have Elder Kenner, so we are praising God for that appointment in this past year. And I certainly appreciate um, God's work through Brian and, uh, in this ministry. Praise God for him. Also want to mention there's a couple that's missing today because they got married yesterday, and that is Wayne and Katrina King are now Mr. and Mrs. Wayne King. So praise God for them. Um, so you can, if you'd like to, to hear, there's a reception coming in a couple of weeks. You can, you can uh, get that information from Charmone. She can help you with that. I think she has a flyer on that. Somebody has that flyer. It's going to be the 15th, uh, two weeks from yesterday here at the church at three o'clock for the reception. So we are just thankful for a, a step of obedience for both of them to, to walk with the Lord and to be united in, in marriage. So praise God for that. We will announce that again when they're here um, after they, they've taken some time off, as you can understand, and we'll be back with us on next Sunday. So we look forward to that. All right, Exodus chapter 12 is our passage, uh, our text for this morning. We'll read all 50 verses. So if you don't have a Bible of your own, ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand and they'll bring one that you can use uh, throughout our service this morning. Would you all please stand with me as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word? Exodus 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he shall then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and, all, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. 
Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the, from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will, and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel also had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had bought, brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is brought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. 
All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall, shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, that he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. May God bless our understanding of his word this morning. Let's bow shortly. If you remain standing with me, let's bow for a time of prayer. We thank you, Father, for your word that we just read and for what it means to us today, what it symbolizes and what it speaks of for us to remember, your great deliverance of your people of a, from an enemy and a captivity that they could not free themselves of. Give us understanding and appreciation for the great redemption and the great work that you have done to free us from sin and from Satan. Bless our understanding of your word and your work today, Lord. That's accomplished through the blood of Jesus. Help us as we look at your word today to encourage and challenge our hearts to be rightly appreciative to you for what you have done. We ask your blessings in on this congregation of people. For those who are with us today, as well as those who could not be here, we ask your blessings on our, new, our newlywed couple, Wayne and Katrina. We pray that you would bless them together and their family. We pray that you would um, just bless this service and all that we do, that it might bring glory to you as we take communion today. We might remember what it is that we that we celebrate, and that we worship. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Included in our service is communion. And we're talking about the Passover of the Old Testament. The name of the feast Passover is very well fitted and very well named. It's a Passover lamb because it was the blood from that lamb being sacrificed that needed to be applied on the doorpost of every home, in every Israelite home. It starts off in this chapter with instructions from the Lord to Moses about how special this event was. He says, I want this to mark your calendar. I want this to be known in all of your history. I want you to write down this very day, and on this day, this month, is going to be the very start of your year. I want you to mark all of your history by this date. Now, you and I, have birthdays. Everyone here today has a birthday. Whether you know what day that is or not, you have a birthday. And your whole life is, keeps in perspective your birth. That's when things started for you. You celebrate that time. God was telling his people, look, I am doing such a work 
that I want you to remember this very day. Now, later on in the text, it tells us that Israel had been in captivity. They had been slaves for 430 years. Now, we can't really imagine how long that is because we never, none of us have lived that long. We've lived a portion of that, only a small portion of that. We can only think and try to equate and imagine what that means. God is saying, in your 430 years that you suffered, I want you to remember this day because it is on this day I am bringing you out of Egypt. To remember that day, they were to remember what God had provided, the ten plagues that he used to bring them out. In other words, ten plagues he used, his judgment is shown on Egypt and on Pharaoh so that Pharaoh might finally release his people. We said this before, if you're a captive... You don't get released because of the goodwill of that one who's captured you. You get released because someone stronger than that one who's captured you has demanded and forced by power your release. And this is what God has done for Israel, and this is what he has done for each and every believer, is that we were captives we were slaves of satan and satan was not going to release us no matter how much we may beg or plead because satan has no goodwill for us to appeal to he has slaves today and every day you and i watch and we look and we see those who are slaves of satan the sad thing is most of them don't even realize it. They think they're doing their own thing. And some think that they can get out of it anytime they want to. And don't realize they need a God that's stronger than Satan to, to release them, to free them from the slavery that they're not even aware that they're in. This is what God has done for Egypt, I mean for Israel taking them out of Egypt, and it's a picture of what he has done for us. Notice how he pictures it. He says, this last judgment that I'm going to bring on Egypt is going to be an awesome judgment, but my people will escape from it. And here's how they'll escape. He gives them instructions in verses 1 through 11 of how they were to take this lamb. Now, I want us to see some of the specifics about this lamb because it's called the Passover lamb. He says it's for every household to take it. In verse 5, he says this, this lamb, let me just tell you straight off, this lamb was a picture of Jesus Christ. He's to foreshadow and to point to Jesus Christ. That's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The people he were talking to were familiar with that kind of language because they knew what the Passover was. It was something that every Israelite was commanded to, to remember and be a part of its celebration every year. So there's something about this Lamb that pictures Jesus for us. He was to be, in verse 5, a male without blemish. Now, we live in a generation and a culture that wants, make, wants to make no distinction between male and female. How foolish they are. God says, this is how I've created, with distinction, male and female. He says, this lamb is to be a male. Why male? Are the females not good? Has nothing to do with that. It points to who he is and who Jesus is to be. By the way, we know God is God the Father, not God the Mother. Because God has made that distinction. 
you and I may not fully understand all the ifs and the whys, but we understand what is and how God, can I say this, identifies himself clearly as male. This lamb was to be a male and it was supposed to be without blemish. So what is that picture? That Jesus is without sin, that he is pure. Then that's what qualifies him to pay for your sin and for my sin is because he had no sin of his own. The Bible in New Testament and Old Testament here makes that perfectly clear. This lamb was to be without blemish. In fact, they were to have several days of observation. They were to select the lamb on the 10th day of the month and kill the lamb on the 14th day of the month. Why is that? There were days to observe this lamb to make sure it was healthy and qualified to be the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb. What does this tell us about Jesus? Jesus lived 30 years before he started his ministry and after he started his ministry, three years before his crucifixion. And in those days, we could see, in fact, the New Testament helps us observe the life of Jesus, that he was, in fact, what the Bible says he was qualified to be, the Lamb of God without blemish. Jesus asked his accusers, do any of you see sin in me? Think about that. He's asking, he didn't ask his disciples that, he asked his, his haters, his enemies, Step forward and speak if you see something. They could say nothing. In fact, when he was crucified, they brought many false charges against him, none of which they could prove. That's why his trial was such a mockery. There was no sin in him. In fact, one of the ways they wanted to kill him, they said, hey, you know what? It's required of every Jewish male that he appears at this feast. We know Jesus is going to be here. That's how we'll get him. They were sure of that. You can read that in John chapter 7 and on. They knew that Jesus would keep the law. And in fact, he did, in fact. So this lamb was to be set aside and observed to make sure it qualified to be that sacrifice. And then in verse 6, it was to be killed. It was to be killed. Now, you and I could, could figure out ways to get blood from a lamb without killing it, if we were so inclined. But the demand was that the lamb would pay with its life. And the blood was a symbol of that life, that it actually died. Not just bled a little and took a little blood and smeared it, but the lamb be put to death. And guess what? That the lamb be eaten as a part of their feast and a part of their celebration. Now, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, my, my body is bread. My blood is drink. Now, he wasn't advocating cannibalism. What he was saying is, I'm for real. It is my body that brings healing and my blood that brings the payment of sin that you will be saved by when you believe. It's his actual blood that he bled and that he paid. He gave his life. He shed his blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no payment, no remission, no forgiveness of sin. You see, God, th this gospel is such a great gospel. God doesn't just say, hey, you know what? You're a sinner, but that's all right. I'm going to ignore all my rules and all my laws, and I'm just going to let you in. And some people think that's what grace is. That's not what grace is. If God did that, he would be a totally unjust God. What he says is that the, the payment for sin must be paid. I will free my people, not because I ignore my own requirement that sin be paid for. I'm going to fulfill my requirement that sin be paid for, and it's going to be paid for by the Lamb of God who gives his life to pay 
for sin. So God doesn't just talk a good talk and say, hey, yeah, you know what, I'll let you into heaven. No big deal. I'll just say, yeah, you can come. He says, no. There will be no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again, unless he's given life. And that life comes through the sacrifice of this lamb who is Jesus Christ. God required that his son be put to death for your sin and my sin. He made it an absolute necessity. So God didn't just sweep stuff under the rug and ignore sin. He deals with sin by his son's death on the cross. So this lamb was to be killed at twilight. That wasn't it. That wasn't enough, though. This lamb, the blood of this lamb that was slain was to be applied on the doorpost and on the lintel of every single home. Can you imagine perhaps they had a camp where all the Israelite slaves lived? And perhaps at that camp they had a gate. Maybe they could just apply the blood there at the gate and cover them all. No. Blood was required to be on every single individual home that Israelite people lived. What does that mean? You ain't saved by your mama's faith. You ain't saved by your daddy's faith. You ain't saved because you came into the doors of Sweet Communion Baptist Church. You are saved when the blood of Jesus is applied in your life. When you personally recognize that, God, there's no other way that I can be right with you except Jesus had died on the cross for me. And I pray God apply his blood on my behalf. You have to apply that blood. The beauty of the Passover is that God says, I'm sending my destroyer angel. Now, just picture that for a bit. I'm sending my destroyer angel, and he's going to destroy every, listen, he's going to destroy, he's going to bring death to every household that does not have blood on his side post and on his lintel. It's a clear message that salvation is through Jesus, his shed blood, and his shed blood alone. I can imagine a couple of things. If an Israelite said, oh, that's all good and well, but I've been serving God all my life and faithful to him. I don't see the need for putting no blood on the post. You can imagine what happened in his household. I want you to imagine for a while, an Egyptian said, hey, whoo, this God is real. I'm either going to put some blood on my doorpost, or I'm staying over your house tonight where the blood covers me. <laughs> That's faith. <laughs> That's faith. God says, I'm sending my destroyer angel. And when he sees the blood, he'll skip that house. He'll pass over it. He will not bring death in that household. How devastating was this, this death? It said it, it, it happened on every single household. And it happened to, to the firstborn of everyone in that household down to from, 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 from the highest position of Pharaoh down to his slaves, down to his goats, his chickens, his cows, his cats, his dogs, whatever he had, there was death of every firstborn. Verses 21 through 27, Moses instructs the elders. 
See, God had given this instruction to Moses, and now Moses passes it down to the elders. And he tells them what God said. Select a lamb, verse 21, kill it. Apply the blood, verse 22. Stay inside. Verse 23, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood, notice there it says the Lord will pass through. When God sends his destroyer, representative from him, it is God who is bringing about his judgment. God is sure to bring judgment. And God is sure to bring grace to his people who show themselves uh, by their faith. And that faith is shown by their obedience to what God has said. He says, when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two, por two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. It's verse 23. Verse 24, he says, you to observe this forever. That's quite a long requirement, isn't it? There's a purpose for that, as we've mentioned, because this pictures the spiritual work that God has done to, to bring us from, from spiritual slavery to freedom in him. And that's only through this blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, his blood allows God to have his judgment pass over our lives. You know, so often we in our Christian circles talk about God's grace without recognizing his judgment. When I look at John 3.16, I see both grace and judgment. Do you? You, you, you can't really appreciate grace if you don't see the, the, the realness of God's judgment. If, if the Passover lamb was just, I mean, if the, if the destroyer angel was just a threat and didn't actually do anything, there'd be no need for the Passover lamb. But the destroyer angel is real. And it's probably a lot of people in Egypt who didn't believe in the destroyer angel. And so they had no need of a Passover lamb. But my job and your job is to tell people that the destroyer angel is real. And you better use the blood of the lamb, otherwise you're in danger. When I look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that who ever believes in him would not what? Would not perish. If you don't believe in him, you are perishing. In fact, the next verse says, those who don't believe are condemned already. God's judgment is real. And those who know that begin to fully appreciate his grace. His grace, which none of us deserve. His grace. Don't ignore his judgment. Don't belittle. Don't put it down. Don't, don't try to minimize it as being something. Yeah, I've heard people say, you know, well, God in the Old Testament is an angry God, and God in the New Testament is a gracious God. He's the same God. He never changed. His grace and his judgment stand side by side. And in fact, they stand in the person of Jesus. Do you know when you look at Jesus, you can see both God's judgment and his grace. He took on death, God's judgment for our sake. He overcame it in his resurrection. His blood is a picture for our grace. Both his grace and judgment. In fact, the Bible says, you know, um, gives us this inclination that we'll be able to examine the prince on Jesus' hands. He, he told Thomas, hey, come here. You, you, you have a doubt about me? Come, put your finger in the prints in my hand. This, these are the nail prints. That's a picture of his judgment. A picture of his taking on our sin and taking on God's wrath 
as a result of that sin and paying fully for that. So it seems to be a sense of where we'll see, we'll see Jesus in that way and be able to understand what he took for us and what that grace costs him. In verse, verse 24, this observance was to be done forever because of what it symbolized. And in verse 25 through 27, I just want to read that and, and uh, spend a moment there. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people in Israel, people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. He's saying, remember this truth as you celebrate it. Teach it to your children. Let them not forget the great work that God has done to deliver, to rescue his people, to judge those who had, had uh, uh, taken his people captive and to free his people. Remember, celebrate, do that every year, do it regularly, keep that uh, truth active in their hearts and in their minds. Uh, we're losing so much of history today because we ignore it. God wants us to remember the things that he has done. And so this, this whole book is, is, is to help us acknowledge what God has done to his people. And, uh, there was his people Israel, and now it is his people, the church, who have, uh, uh, who, who have experienced God's great uh, deliverance. So we need to remember that. I like verse 28. It's a very simple verse. So God explained to Moses what he was doing. And in verse 21, Moses explains to the people. And look what the response was, verse 28. The people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. They took it seriously. They went, they set aside that lamb. They allowed those from the 10th day to the, excuse me, up. They, they set aside the lamb, they killed the lamb, and they sacrificed it and put the blood on the lintel. I would think at this first observ observation, um, they may have not have had all those days to do that. They were in a hurry. That's another thing I want to point out here. It's a lot of talk about the unleavened bread in this passage. I want you to clearly understand what that means. There's a significant reason for them having a feast of unleavened bread and eating unleavened bread. Look at verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. You can understand that. They woke up in the morning and some parents were no longer living. Some children were no longer living. They got the message. God is not a God to be played with. He keeps his promises. His promise to judge and his promise to deliver. He keeps his promise. It says, so they sent them out in haste. That means in a hurry. They wanted to get rid of these people right away. So what happened? It says, verse 34, so the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. It says they were in a hurry, and that's why they took their bread. They were, you know, when you prepare bread, they, they used the leaven to allow the bread to, to, to rise, to allow, allow it to develop. 
They didn't have time for that. It's a quick get it so you can go. When they prepared the, the Passover lamb, they were to eat it in haste. Eat it in a hurry. Why? Because they were in a hurry to get on out of there. To get on their journey. The whole emphasis there is they were in a hurry and they were to do it quickly. And so the fact that they didn't have time for this bread to, 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 to rise, the yeast to have the full of, uh, impact of it, uh, they were to take it and go. Now, we understand that in our culture, at least I do. When I eat, I go through the drive-thru. Right? Pay, go, and, and, and eat as you go. That's kind of how that, that was their image. They said, look, look, we ain't got time for sit-down restaurant here. It's time to get up and go. God is calling us right now. We're in a hurry. Grab what you got now and go. That's the image there. And so the whole thing of unleavened bread has to do with being in a hurry. And obey, obeying God immediately. Right now. That's the whole point there. I also want you to see that as they left, it says they did what God had told them and they asked the Egyptians for jewelry and for clothing and the Egyptians gave it to them willingly and in so giving them, it said they plundered the Egyptians. Did you get that? Verse 36, thus they plundered the Egyptians. That, that, that's a word for saying they took all their stuff. But they didn't have to steal it. They got it willingly. God had prepared the hearts of the Egyptians two ways. Two ways he prepared their heart. One way he prepared them is that he gave Israel, Israel had favor in their eyes. God was working in such a way that these lowly slaves were now highly esteemed by the Egyptians. Isn't that something? God was showing them that, hey, these are my people, and though you've mistreated them, they're special. And they started to look up to them, started to esteem them that way. And so they were willing to give over of their goods. I'm, I'm talking about high-quality, expensive stuff, jewelry of gold. And silver. Later on, you'll see how, what this was used for. And it just, just a, a hint is that God collected these and used them to build the, the tabernacle and the things of worship that were needed. The other thing that God used to motivate them to do this was the actual plague itself. The actual plague itself. The Bible tells us there was not a house in Egypt that didn't experience death. You know, somehow we in our culture today, uh, it's easy to become callous to the death that's all around us until it happens, you know, right in our own home. It used to be when the ambulance or, or when, when a siren was, we had an emergency vehicle on the street trying to get by and a siren, we hear the siren, everybody move over. Not today. Siren, the, the emergency vehicles have a hard time getting through. We just take it for granted. I used to, as I come into my neighborhood, coming from somewhere else, I see an emergency vehicle and I used to think, oh, I hope they're not at my house. I wonder if that's somebody I know. I wonder what happened there. But after you see it every other day, you, you, you begin to get callous by it. Like, oh, well, I hope they ain't blocking my driveway. I hope I can get to work on time. I hope they don't make me late. We become callous to all of the fallout all around us. God was going to do something that they could no longer ignore. It was going to impact every single family. Think about it. Every mom and dad 
had a dear child that they lost in every household. I ride around and I see the stuffed animals and the balloons on the post and on the trees where somebody lost their life. Imagine riding in Milwaukee and that's at every house. Every house. Every corner. Every neighborhood. Every location. And usually more than one. Or could be more than one. Imagine that kind of devastation throughout the land. God used that to prepare the hearts of the Egyptians to say, go. I got a credit card. I got jewelry. I got a cell phone. I don't, it, it means nothing to me anymore. Take it and go. And that's what they did. To such an extent, it says they plundered the Egyptians. They took so much stuff of value that Egypt was plundered. If you can understand that, you begin to get a sense for the devastation of God's judgment. Think about it this way. What's devastating to one group who is being judged is actually a blessing to the other group that God is lavishing his grace and, 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 and mercy on. We serve an awesome God. He is able to do both. He is able to do both. That's why we worship today. And today as we look at communion today, we need to remember the awesome judgment of God that is set on every single individual on the face of this earth. That if they don't trust Christ, they will not escape the judgment of God. Everyone in this building today hearing my voice, or even if you're not hearing my voice, is still true. Well, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born Again, the blood of Jesus Christ must be applied in your life. You must be trusting in Jesus. There will be none that escape God's judgment. I pray that you not take that for granted. I pray that God will help you to understand the devastation of his judgment so that we will not be afraid to speak to people that we come across. For them to understand God is real, his judgment is true. You know, we, we find ways to, to, to tune it out. We live our whole lives, some people, just trying to ignore God's truth. But I tell you, it's true whether you think you can ignore it or not. You may ignore it, but you will never escape it. God's judgment is real. So many people say, well, you pastor, don't, don't talk like that. We just want people to come because they love God. God has to change your heart, but you need to know that his word is real and that he will actually judge as he says that he will and that in knowing his judgment, it helps us to see the beauty of his grace. Can you imagine the Israelites eating this Passover lamb saying, thank you, God. This lamb that I'm enjoying eating right now has its blood plastered over my front door so that I will be delivered. Thank you, God, that you actually look at that blood and pass over me. You won't be confused by the houses that don't have it or who has it, you know that you have set me aside to deliver me from your judgment. And I know that deliverance is found in this blood that's applied. 
Now, they may not have all realized the significance of this truth, but God has given us his word for us to realize this blood pointed to Jesus. He is the one and only Lamb of God that clears us, delivers us from God's judgment. As you take communion today, I, I pray that you'll do this in seriousness. One, that if you're not saved, if you're not trusted in Christ, then communion is not for you. You don't need to take it. You shouldn't take it, in fact, because you don't take it seriously. Secondly, it's required for every household to apply that blood. Every single household needed it. God is calling you, as you take communion today, to recognize and to be obedient to God's word today, to have faith in his son Jesus and to be willing to walk in obedience to him. I'm going to ask our leadership team to come. And as they gather here in the front, we're going to have a word of prayer before we go into communion. But I pray that you will take God's word seriously today. And not just in the ceremony and the things that we do today, but in how you actually live your life. Perhaps you're not even committed to this church. Perhaps you're not a part or a member here, and you have no intention of doing that. Then I pray that God will convict your heart to obey him. Perhaps you're a part somewhere else, and that's fine, and that's, that's good if that's God's purpose for you. But if you are just going to wander around indefinitely, and God is challenging you to walk in obedience to his truth and his word. I pray that we'll embrace Jesus as our Passover lamb. Recognize what he's done for us and then be committed to obey him because of what he's done for us. Let's bow in prayer as we prepare for Lord, suffer today. Lord, I pray that we will prepare our hearts for you right now. Hearts that are surrendered to you. Hearts that are appreciative of what Jesus has done for us. And as we participate in communion today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize it's the blood of Jesus that pays for our sin and we celebrate what he's done and as we represent his blood by our juice and represent his body with our wafer, we're remembering him and what he's done and what that means to our salvation. I pray that we'll do that in a genuine way with, thanks, with thankfulness and that in so doing, we commit our way to, to Jesus to obey each and everything you command us to do. Knowing you'll give us strength to obey you. But may we just commit to walking with you, to living the way that you want us to live. If there's anything, Lord, that is blocking our fellowship with you, our fellowship with each other, we pray that we would ask forgiveness for that and we'd turn and repent from that. And we'll get things right. We won't take communion until we get those things right. And when we get those things right, we'll come back and fellowship. In full fellowship and worship and communion. So I pray, Lord, that you would cleanse our hearts right now. Then I pray for that one who needs to trust in Jesus right now. That they would actually do that. Even while I'm speaking, they would just say, Lord... Save me. I believe in Jesus and his shed blood on the cross as payment for my sin. And I turn my life to you. I acknowledge Jesus. I believe in him. He is my Savior. His blood pays for my sin. I belong to him. May anyone here, Lord, who has done this 
Let us know so that we can pray for them. We can instruct them how they walk in obedience to you. Now, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for this service, for this communion, we just pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to, uh, to ask our men to pray for the elements here. I'm going to ask Brother Cliff if he'd pray for that which represents Jesus' body, our wafer. I'm going to ask uh, Lawrence if he'd pray for the juice that represents Jesus' blood. And then after that, Elder Brian is going to uh, take us into a time of self-examination, confession of our sin, and preparing our hearts for the communion that we have today. Let's, let's pray in that order. Heavenly Father, thanking you for bringing us to this day that we celebrate the sacrifice that you gave on Calvary's cross for us, Lord. And Lord, you gave a body for our sins. And as we take the wafer today, Lord, it represents your body, that we understand, Lord, it's a memorial to you, only that. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. And we do this in remembrance of you. Mm -hmm. So bless our table today. For mm -hmm. Christ's sake, amen. Amen. Lord, we just... Thank you for the, the juice and the blood that it represents, Lord, and it was shed for the remission of our sins. Um, we just think about, uh, we learned this morning about the Passover lamb. We just thank you for being that for us, Lord, so that we can stand in uh, paradise and glory with you one day. So just pray as we take this today that we um, revel in the fact that we can look forward to that and we long for that. and we, we passionately strive to see that come to fruition in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together as part of your church, Lord. We thank you for you laying your, down your life for us, Lord. And we, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we will live lives that are worthy of that sacrifice that you did for us. That we will show, Lord, that your blood is on the lentils and sides of our heart, Lord. That your destroyer will pass over us, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in here, Lord, who has not trusted in Jesus, have not received that Passover lamb, that they not test the destroyer. We pray, Lord, if there's anybody in this room, Lord, who thinks that they can take the lamb and then they can disrespect his sacrifice by living any old way. We pray, Lord, that they not test you. Lord, help us to understand Lord there's lots of examples in the Bible of people that tested you and hell is full of them Lord so I pray Lord that we would not test your patience today at the same time Lord I encourage Lord those I pray that you would encourage those Lord who want to take this communion Lord remembering you who know that they are not perfect, that they are not coming to this communion with an expectation of being perfect, but they are coming with just a pure memory and pure desire to serve you first, that they would take this communion, that if there's anybody in this room who have rectified their wrongs and repented, that they would take this communion with boldness and confidence and faith. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. As your hearts prepare for communion time today, our men will start from the back and uh, direct you forward. We're going to ask each of you to come forward, even if you don't receive communion. That will just help the flow of of our whole of our whole group here today. When you come. Receive a cup. If you would take that cup back to your seat, don't open it until we all open it together. This cup is for believers, believers only. This cup is for believers 
who are walking in fellowship with God, walking in obedience to Him. As you return to your seat, please be seated and wait for our instructions. We, we are ready to open the seal together. There's two seals. The first one is a very thin one. If you would open that, and that opens to you the wafer there. If you would take that together, hold that out. When I see that in your hand, I'll know that we all have that. Go ahead, lift that up if you have it already. This represents Jesus, his body body was prepared for him so that he could come from heaven, live on earth, and qualify to be the Lamb of God, to be the Passover Lamb for us. Let's remember Jesus as we eat together. Go ahead and open that next seal carefully. The juice is there. This juice represents the blood of Jesus that was used to save us from our sin. He paid with his life, with his own blood, so that you and I who trust in Jesus can be forgiven of him. It's nothing magical in this juice. It's not miraculous in and of itself. But it is a symbol of what Jesus has done for us. He suffered, he bled, he died so that our sin would be paid for. We trust in his blood as payment for our sin. Remember Jesus as we drink together. The lamb that was slain is the victorious risen Savior. Jesus now is risen from the dead. The Bible says he's right now in heaven on the side, on the right-hand side of God. He's sitting at the throne in a, in a place of power, but he's also interceding and praying for us. We're thankful for Jesus, for his entire work, for our salvation. We're thankful that we're waiting for the day for him to complete what he has started. He's going to come to earth, and then again, we're going to see both parts of that. 
wrath and grace. We're going to see his judgment poured out on the people of this world. And we're going to see his grace poured out on us so that we, from then on, will forever be with him. We look forward to that. That's encouraging for us that we think of him and his return and that we live in accord with who we are and what he's coming to do to take his people back to himself. As you go out throughout this day and throughout this week, I want you to think of those symbols that are used when a family has lost someone. You may see some sometime this week. And when you see that, I want you to think of how that should be multiplied over this entire city. I want you to recall God's judgment. And I also want you to think of God's grace that comes to those who trusted in Jesus, who in essence have his blood on their hearts that God's judgment might pass over us. Let's close in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Andy if he would uh, just pray for us as we, uh, as we close our service today. Dear Lord, we just come to you in prayer. We just praise you for the ability to come together for communion, to praise you for what you have done for us, the sacrifice you paid for us, and the salvation you have granted to us. We just thank you for this, Lord, and we just ask that you help us be mindful of it always as we go forward in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. I have one quick announcement to make also. There were backdated PayPal donations, so we did exceed goal for last month. So praise God. <laughs> <laughs>